The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. Talk about it as a team of defense. That, that's, that's it. That's it. You know what? This, you know, I'm going to say I can see it on the sideline. We look hungry here. We look hungry. We play hungry. We play violent. Hey, proud of each and every man in this room, man. All right, y'all put the work in this week. Right, that's what it looked like, man. Y'all put the work in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Right? We put the work in, we put the money in the bank, and you cast out today. That's what it looked like. Right? That's what it looked like, man. 60 minutes. 17 nothing, and I'll tell you what, man, that is the most resilient performance I've ever seen in my life. You know what that was right there? That was the definition of resilience. Hey, great, great, and I mean great team win. It does not get any better than that. We only show the thrill of victory. We rarely delve into the agony of defeat on that Monday after Sunday. But, hey, for the teams that win, it's a big deal. Winning a game in the National Football League is difficult. We see it every week. It is a 60-minute fight, and sometimes it comes down to the wire. And for the team, especially the team that wasn't expected to win, when you get that upset victory, Things are pretty good. It's a There's, good feeling. It is a good feeling. There's nothing like being in a locker room after a win as a, as a player. And, you know, and, of course, as a coach, too. Just the, the week that you go through, you know, you know it's one of the most high-pressured jobs. I know everybody looks at it and goes, oh, you're getting a lot of money to play football. Yeah, I understand that, too. But you know, they're looking for the next guy always. It's always a new challenge as far as yourself internally, the team itself. So it's a great time to celebrate. And, and you know, what we see from a lot of those coaches is what they preach is just, Hey, the week itself, that's where you got to put in the work here so we can, you know, fight for the right to party, as a wise man once said. That's right. And look, yeah. we, we hear a little hyperbole coming out of those locker rooms. Yeah. I laughed when Matt LaFleur, the Packers coach, said yeah. it's the most resilient performance he's ever seen in his <laughs> right. life. Well, he hasn't seen many then. It was impressive, but there are others. 28-3 and Super Bowl 51 would come to mind, but still. 
for him to be personally involved. And he's had some highs with the Packers. And this year, nobody really knows what to expect. And yesterday was one of those days where you're thinking, down 17 nothing in their home opener, the New Orleans Saints, maybe they do suck this year. Yeah. Maybe they are going to be horrible right. this year. And they turn it around and they pull off. And we'll talk about that and everything else of significance that happened. And everything was significant. Week three, Sunday of the 2023 season. But before we get to that, we just have to spend a little bit of time. I do have to thank you once again. Oh, Having me over to your house, yep. to the Sims family of it with the family, with the animals. I love your dogs. I was going to try to take Toto with me, wondering <laughs> yeah. whether or not your wife would notice or anybody else. I'm sure others in the family would have objected as well. I love Toto. I love Bentley. Thank you. I got bit by a duck. Yep. <laughs> and I've been bit by a duck before. They don't have teeth, no, so it, yeah, no. who cares? Right. But, My daughter uh, brought the duck in at, like, what was that, 9.30 at yeah, night? Yeah, Right? She was kind of going around the yard doing her little duties of locking things up and doing all that, and all of a sudden, you and I were sitting on the couch watching Notre Dame, Ohio State, and we heard, what? And I was like, oh, my, my daughter brought the duck in. The, the duck yeah. bit me harder than the Oregon Ducks bit Deion Sanders and the Colorado <laughs> Buffaloes, but uh, we, I got to see the horse real yeah. briefly. Yeah. Uh, didn't fall as I was making my way down the hill to get I to the car. Did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I had my flashlight on my phone because, yeah, it's like treacherous there. I thought it was a nice little smooth, oh. and it's like, holy crap, yeah, this is an some, obstacle course. It's, it's uh, some rocky area up by us and mountains and, you know, little big hills that are kind of steep and all that. And then, yeah, we had a good time. Had a good time. Aunt Wendy's great. birthday Aunt party. Wendy, she was starstruck. Like, which is amazing which to me is, because her brother-in-law is Phil Simms. I, yeah, I know. but she And her thinks, nephew is Chris Simms. Yeah, but she thinks you're cool. You're a That's different funny. level, different type of thing. You're this, you know, self-made. She, like, totally respects your brain and how you think. That's what my mom and my aunt, all they ever say is, oh, he's... He's smart. I'll tell you. He's smart. I want to be. He's not that smart. No, it's just in comparison to you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right? It's a low bar. Right. (laughs) Then the wife knew you were. So that was awesome because my my aunt, when she knew you were literally, you know, minutes away, she was standing there taking deep breaths going, I can't believe it. I'm so nervous. I can't believe he's going to be here in the flesh. You know, so that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Danielle. Incredible host. The lasagna lasagna was awesome. My only regret is I didn't notice the cheese and the bread earlier, oh, although I would have eaten yeah. all of it. And I was trying to eat all of it on my way out the door. It's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, what's this? Oh, yeah. it's cheese and it's bread. Yeah, yeah. A good French bakery around uh, around the area that, that, that the wife loves to get the bread from. And then, yeah, you know, she had some some butter and some. Yeah, I thought it was cheese. It's uh, like, boy, yeah. this cheese is soft. And salami there <laughs> earlier. I yeah, you ate the salami. You got there. Yeah, the meat gone. was gone. There was no gabagool left. Some, yeah. some ghoul ate all the gabagool. <laughs> exactly. but, uh, but it was great. I ate too much. I did not drink too much which was good yeah i did it. not smoke at all darn which it. was good we tried we no tried it was a long day yesterday <laughs> i needed to be able to get out of bed and get to work all right so all of you out there getting out of bed and getting to work uh you get to listen to us as you go through your routine unless you're a broncos fan today is the day that the broncos fan will be on complete and total media blackout as i would have been yep. if i'm on the wrong side of 70 to 20 Just a horrible performance in all phases, all facets. Any hope I had for the team is dashed. Tanking is the only viable option at this point, even though Sean Payton has made it clear that's the last thing he'll ever do. He may not have much say in whether or not they have a chance to actually win games. But that that was just a complete and total debacle if you're the Broncos. And if you were the Dolphins, it's a thing of beauty. It's the kind of thing that makes you think, if you're a Dolphins fan, yeah. team of destiny. Right, it does. It's the kind of win, the kind of performance, the way you look on the field. 
You know, that, yeah, it makes you think we can win the Super Bowl. You're right. We're a Super Bowl football team. And like this just in, they are. They're a Super Bowl football team. You know, we, we've kind of been trying to say that the whole year. But it's, it's, it's one of the most talented teams in football, both sides of the ball. I know Jalen Ramsey's not even out there. Jalen Waddle's not Wait, even Hang on a second. There. This is not technical difficulties. We have to Keystone Cops the highlights so we can get them all so everybody, in. Uh, yeah, they're all <laughs> just 10 touchdowns. But, uh, it, it, you know, one, the creativity, the talent on the field, the way Tua's playing. And then the big thing that we've talked about a little last week, and we hit on it yesterday a little too, is just that they're running the ball this year. Last year, M- McDaniel got f- – frustrated with the run at times didn't want to stay patient I think he got a little in love with wait I got Waddle and Tyree Kill and I love these toys and let me keep playing with them and they kind of lost their way in the run game this year that is not the case in all three football games and you know I mean yesterday for, you really kind of felt it the first drive of the game because it was what three plays 75 yards for a touchdown and you were like wow people are just open everywhere and that was easy then the second drive of the game it wasn't as many plays but they still went down I want to say eight or nine plays. Is that what it was? Nine plays for 81, and it was a machine, and you just felt like, wow, I don't know if the Broncos can stop them today. It doesn't look like it, and it just continued to snowball and go crazy from there for the Miami Dolphins. I talked to running back Raheem Mostert after the game. He had four touchdowns total, three on the ground, and one uh, through uh, through the air. Uh, that would be the other thing if it's not on the ground. And he said they just knew right away they're not going to be able to stop us. They've got no answers. They never had any answers. And he never came out and said the Broncos quit. Jason Garrett said it last night. I was surprised by that. Not that not that I disagree with him, yeah. but a former head coach yeah. to say on Football Night in America, the Broncos quit. I mean, that that is a strong statement in week three. And we were trying to make sense of it last night in the video that we do after halftime. I feel like it's critical for a new coach to get his players to buy in. And you got to get a win early. Yeah. Or they don't buy in. And after this debacle, how are you ever going to get the Broncos to buy in? We had the clip of Garrett Bowles dropping a couple of S-bombs and, you know, they're dejected and they're down. But if they really did quit, what do you do today if you're Sean Payton with that team? Do you have to go cut a couple of guys? What do you do? Do you have to fire Vance Joseph? Well, no, I, I don't think so, but I do think you have to kind of do something drastic to shake it up a little bit. Now, I don't know whether that's just a, you know, whatever, a great speech, burn the film. I, I mean, there's, you know, something to kind of rally the troops a little bit. You, know, I, I, you got to be careful about, you know, just cutting players, trying to make an example. You know, Vance Joseph certainly is going to be under a lot of scrutiny, but I don't know. That might, you know, destabilize the whole thing even yeah. more by making a move like that. Then it's like, damn, our coach is he's not a he's not rational sometimes. We got our butt kicked and he's just gonna start firing people and pointing fingers, right? And of course you're coming off a of preseason where he made a few comments that got public and it looked like he was kind of blaming things already. So uh, I, they'll bounce back. He's he's still a great football coach. And I don't know if I would go to say they'd quit yesterday, but I would certainly say that they had their heart and soul ripped out of them somewhere like, you know, mid to late third quarter, and they certainly weren't playing as intense or throwing their body around quite the way they were in the in the first half of the game. But that's understandable. I mean, damn, it's it's 
I mean, I'm right, so looking at my notes. I'm going, Miami's doing whatever they want. They can't be stopped, run or pass. I mean, it didn't matter. They tried to run out the clock and the game. They're still gashing them for big plays like you see Robbie Chosen and, and, and uh, A-Chain run up and down the football field on them. So really tough loss for the, the Broncos. And you're right, people in that locker room would be questioning a little bit everything right now about where they're going and is Sean Payton really all built, you know, uh, you know what would I want to say? Is he all that they say he is? Right. right? Was is it? He, how much was it? Drew Brees? Yeah. Right. How, yeah. All those things are yeah. going to start to kind of. Is the game passed him by? Like right. all these questions are going to yeah. be fair game right. now when you lose seventy to twenty. Exactly. And they've got a couple of winnable games coming up. They've got the Bears, and they've got the Jets back to back weeks. And zero and three can become two and three. Yeah. And it changes everything. That does right. So Peyton's got to have the right touch here. Yeah. Do you show sympathy for your guys? Because look, look. We're wrong almost as often as we're right. But one thing that we were right about this weekend, and one thing I felt strongly about was the Dolphins are going to kick the shit out of the Broncos. Like I, you, you kicked the you I, you picked the kick in the shit out of the part of it. I picked it a little closer. Yeah, so I give but, you credit. But I, I thought, okay, yeah. look, this is one of those we have enough connective tissue to figure this out. And I look at the Broncos losing to the Raiders, losing to the commanders, both at home, games that were set up for them to win. And now, uh-oh, here comes a team that's looked pretty damn good, and they yeah. have to go down there to Miami. And you've talked in the past about the challenges of going to Miami and playing. Yeah, and right. They just, they just, boom. And so, if you're Sean Payton, I guess you have to look at it and say, look, you lose by one point or you lose by 50 points. It's just one loss, and you got to move on yeah. to the next and one. And you better be ready, and we got to be on the details, and it doesn't matter who it is. And, yeah, it stinks they lost those first two games because they could they could have easily been going into that game 2-0 and with a totally different feel. Uh, yes, but, you know, you're going into 0-2, and, and all, the thing, all of a sudden things snowball out of control, and, you know, you're going, damn, we just don't got it. We can't figure out ways to win a football game. I think the thing that Sean Payton will do today – and this might be really the only way, is, is self-blame. It's going to be, oh, we didn't coach you good enough. I mean, he's going to have to take this one on the chin. We didn't do a good enough job. He's got to be careful. He's, of course, I'm sure he'll point some things Especially out to players. Especially after last week with the That's whole, he's I mean. starting to blame Russ. Exactly. With the whole, oh, we got to simplify the verbiage and we got to beef up the wristband. And, oh, never said that once in 15 years with Drew Brees. Right. I mean, the message was clear. Right. Got to be careful this week not to blame the yeah, players. Yeah, exactly right. I think so. He's still getting to know them. This is still a, you know, a, a fairly new marriage here. So I think he will kind of take the blame. And Vance Joseph will take the blame. And they'll say they got to do better. And what you saw, again, too, just against you got to have a special defense to stop the Dolphins. And if you don't have a special defense, which the Broncos don't, it's a good defense, or at least we thought it was until yesterday, that you can't just think you're going to sit back and, oh, I'll be sound and we'll be simple and we'll be in this area to stop this and this area to stop that. They're too smart. They're too good. You have to – when you play the Dolphins, you got to force the issue a little bit. You got to do some things where, you know, they aren't expecting a blitz in this situation, in this formation. We never did this. Or even take some chances where you go, we don't like to do this, but we have no choice because, you know, the Dolphins' offense is so good and detailed that you really can't be right. It feels like the Eagles last year a little bit. When you overplay one thing, they have the next thing for checks and balances to go, okay, well, now you, you got to fix this. And that's where, you know, they're going to be an anomaly for defensive coordinators all year, and it's going to take special game plans to slow them down. We're going to flip it around and fully praise the Dolphins in a moment. Before yeah. we close the book on the Broncos, let's have a listen. 
to Coach Sean Payton after the game, talking to reporters about giving up the most points in any NFL game since 1966. Have a listen. Obviously, uh, that was embarrassing and uh, tough to watch. Aside from the kick return, there weren't a lot of positives to take from that game. Um, you know, we had our opportunities offensively early, two penalties, you know, take touchdowns off the board, and I don't know that – I think they punted one time. So, any questions? You said it's embarrassing, but this is kind of an historic game. I'm aware. Third time a team has scored 70 points over seven. What's the question? What's the question? How do you feel about it being I just finished telling you. Historically embarrassing. Next question. Again, it's disappointing. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm at a loss for words because I've never been in. A, I've been on the other side of some games like that, and then every once in a while in this league, you get your butt whipped. But this was more than that. That's right. I don't know who the reporter was, and a lot of times you see the folks who cover the team on a regular basis yeah. maybe tiptoeing eggshells. But, yeah, it was embarrassing. Hey, it's historically <laughs> embarrassing. Can you comment on that? It's I just know. not your run-of-the-mill embarrassment. Well, he's this aware. is an embarrassment right. that stands out among all others. Would you care to comment on that? I mean, yeah. that was a gutsy move. It was a gutsy move. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Sean Payton. He's pretty aware of the history of football, and he knows 70 and 700 yards and all that stuff doesn't happen, so you don't need to like lay it out there for him. He was already letting you know how embarrassing that was. So I understand him getting a little frustrated, and of course, he's, he's a competitor. He, I, I don't ever remember him and any on the this this side of a butt whooping like this, the one thing I love about Sean Payton, and you you've heard me say it, and yeah, with the creativity, the passing, all that, the one thing his teams have always been is physical and tough. Uh, they really have. That kind of goes under the radar because of the passing yards things. But but yeah, this was a different level of butt whooping. This was out coached, out talented on the football field, and then yeah, out hustled and and playing hard it just was everything you want to talk about about a football team the Dolphins won it and the Broncos were were certainly less than and it was a disaster I've never seen anything like it like I is there anything you can remember like what what ranks up there with this to you as far as like just every time we looked up we were like whoa there's another 50 yard play whoa there's a 40 yard pass I just I can't remember anything quite like it well Two things. Yeah. I remember back in the 70s, right? Bef- 20 years before free agency, true free agency, and the salary cap kind of evened out the rosters, and there was a dramatic imbalance between some teams and others. I remember games that were 53 to 10. I yeah, mean, it felt sure. like right. that happened every few weeks, that there was just a team that was grossly superior to another team, right. and that other team was just going to get stomped. Patriots, Titans, maybe yeah. like 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. Snow. And, and, uh, and it felt like it was never going to end. No. Like, every time you look at the clock, it's like, it like there's, there's still 14 minutes left, minutes left yeah. in this damn game. And, <laughs> right. and and it's not like there was never a sense that the Dolphins were running it up. Now, the counter to that always is, hey, you got to stop them. Hey, this is big boy sport. But there was never a sense the Dolphins were even trying to do it. They put their backup quarterback in, and everything still worked. Yeah. They put in this running back, and it works. And they put in this guy, and it works. And it was just an ass-kicking start to finish. So... I I had really nothing at the time that I could look at and say, hey, I've seen this before. And I've never seen 70 points. No. So I, yeah, you hear about 
a handful of games, a small handful of games where that many points are scored, but they were on the brink of history. The fans were booing. When I talked to Raheem Mostert, I, it's like, did you realize what, what they were booing? It's like, yeah, we knew that we were close to history, and he kind of wanted them to do it. And at the end of the day, they didn't do it. They could have done it. They could have stuck the dagger in the Broncos and gotten that extra three points. And I wonder if the shoe was on the other foot would Sean Payton have done it. Here's Mike McDaniel, coach of the Dolphins, discussing why ultimately they decided not look at that. Ooh, I that love was that, that was that a sweep too. That's really nice. Was. He did Tua. that twice in this one, but that was cool. A little behind the back and righty, right? I mean he's a lefty. So that was kind of yeah. cool. Uh, but yeah, this is what separates them right now. When Boatster and A Chain now can run the ball like this Defenses are going to be a big trouble because, of course, we know covering Waddle when he's in the lineup along with Tyree Kill is hard enough as it is. This was the only play I questioned why this was called. Yeah. Right? The deep post or go route to Robbie Chosen when I think the game at that point might have been 49-13. to 13. Uh, no, it was actually 56 to 13. That was the only one the whole game I was like, why are they throwing Yeah, that at one? a certain point, yeah. you just run the ball, run the ball, right. run the ball, right. run the ball. But when you've emptied your bench and it's an opportunity for your backups to, to get, get some, some reps, reps. That's right. You, you treat it like a preseason game yeah. at that point. Yeah, get them some reps. And you don't think about the score. You're thinking we're getting reps for our backups. That's so true. we already put our backups in. Yeah. What more can we do? Right. We're going to run our plays and, and get our guys some practice because if Tua gets hurt, we're going to need Mike White to come in and play. Anyway. Very few highlights will get me to stop in the middle of an attempt to throw to sound, but that no-look right-handed pass from That's the left-handed sweet. Tua did it. Here's Mike McDaniel on the decision not to go for the all-time regular season points record. It felt like chasing points and chasing a record. Um, uh, that's not what we came to the game to do. Um, that doesn't have a bearing on the overall season outcome. And I just didn't, uh, I, I saw it as, uh, you know, in that 10 times out of 10, you, uh, you, you concede and kneel down in those situations because there was a, there was a attainable record. Um, that was cool, but the message that I thought it would send uh, wasn't really in line with how, how I view things. That's a great take from Mike McDaniel. I sense that as he's explaining that, he's a little shell-shocked by what happened, and he's thinking about how does this game fit within our broader objectives? Is there a negative that comes from scoring 70? Does it make it harder to move forward when you get the Bills up next? Could I bank some of those points for next week against the Buffalo Bills? But I think of other coaches, and I'm not trying to be critical of anybody. I just think there are other coaches out there they would have kicked that field goal. When I think of John Harbaugh twisting himself in the knots to justify attaching significance to a preseason wins record yeah, or, or that stupid record, and this came against the Broncos where there were complaints back when Vic Fangio was the head coach right. about running the ball late when the game was decided so they could game. extend right. – this very obscure record of consecutive games with 100 team rushing yards. Right. And it's kind of like, that's kind of dumb to put significance on that. But if you're ultra competitive and you have a chance to do something, and I could hear John Harbaugh justifying it saying, we were on the brink of history. Nobody's ever done this. We had a chance to do something that these guys can tell their grandchildren about. He would have kicked the field goal there. I think Peyton would have gotten the probably. You know, there are plenty of coaches that would have done it. Yeah. For McDaniel to realize in that moment, you know what? This can do a lot more harm than good to what we're really here for. So 
I don't want this. Yeah. I already got enough right. to process with 70. I don't need the all-time regular season scoring record, putting an even bigger target on us every step of the way. Now we're the team everybody's out to beat, and we haven't done anything. Yeah. And we got the Bills next week. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, maybe a little bit of like a, you go that route. It, it's, it's a, you know, it's against the football gods. It's against the football karma a little bit. I agree with you that there's coaches out there that would have gone for it. I, I think of like my ex-coach, John Gruden. He would have gone for it for sure. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I understand it. Sometimes you only get a chance to be a part of history like that. And you go, okay, damn, we can have the most yards and points in the history of a you know NFL game on the offensive side of the ball. And I understand everybody liking that shiny object. But at the same time, he's going, wait, we're in Miami. We're the, the, the biggest thing in the city right now. Do we really need to do that? And added on top of that, this is a guy that worked for the Bronco organization one time, right, Mike McDaniel, and he's got respect for the game too. And I would guarantee he's Grew up got, a Broncos fan. I know. So that's another reason where I think that probably helped him pump the brakes. And his respect, I'm sure, for Sean Payton and what he's done in this league, you know, I think he probably just felt like that wasn't right. It wasn't the right message. They won the game. They whooped their ass. You know, we don't have to send them into obliteration mode and, you know, dig a hole 20 feet deeper here for them. And he moved on, and I think that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Some other things about the, the Miami Dolphins. And I'm glad Raheem Mostert pointed this out because I asked, what's the difference this year? And he said it's the offensive line. Yeah, too. right. We don't notice the offensive line no. when it's the Charlie Chaplin silent movie high-speed highlights with 10 touchdowns. It's, oh, Devon A-Chain had four and ooh, Raheem Mostert had four and they had five on the ground and five in the air and it was history this and statistics that oh the offensive line was kind of the thing that got it all going and what Mostert said is between the offensive line and Tua year two yeah year two in the system last year first year in the system they did some pretty damn good things right this year year two next level yeah he knows and, the offense like the it. back of his hand yeah. now, right? You know, and he knows what he's an extension of Mike McDaniel. Knows what he wants to check to in every formation. And if the defense does this, McDaniel taught me to do that. So yeah, the the, the robot is almost completely wired to be an extension of McDaniel and the coaching staff there. And the the offensive line is it's the only thing we questioned going into the year with the Dolphins. Oh, I know in my podcast and you and I we. It, it, it's a top three roster in football. The only thing we needed to see to go to that like next level was, yeah, can they run the football? And, and can they protect Tua to keep him healthy? Those are the two things we all question. And one, McDaniel does a great job of all the moving stuff before the snap, and then almost every play on first and second down has some semblance of a run fake, so that always makes defensive line slow down for a little bit. He helps his O-line there. That helps them get, get confidence because they go, look, we're not giving up sacks, even though they're doing a lot to help them. And then they're allowing them to fire off the ball and play that way and get physical a little bit, and they're gaining confidence there. I mean, the fact that they ran the ball the way they did against the Patriots last week up in New England, 
And to do this again this week, it's it's the perfect formula because nobody wants to put extra guys in the box to play the Miami Dolphins. Nobody wants to go, oh, let's get eight people down there to stop the run. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave Tyreek and Waddle one-on-one. That'll be good for us, right? So that's the conundrum they're going to put you in here going forward. And then, I mean, shit, we're not even talking about their defense. Their defense flies around like a bunch of crazy maniacs too. And uh, they got a ton of talent there. And Vic Fangio, you're seeing uh, that defense is different this year. So Dolphins are certainly that team that, you know, like we said about the Cowboys, Dolphins and 49ers through three weeks are the kings of the NFL right now. At least the two teams that are most impressive. We know the Eagles are still damn good, but they haven't played their best. It's going to be 49ers one, Dolphins two in the yeah. power rankings. Yeah. I mean, I got caught up in Cowboys mania last week and swept them into number one. Oh, they, they swept themselves right out of number one. Before we pivot to that game, yeah. the one disappointment I have from yesterday's okay. Dolphins-Broncos game. Hmm. When I spoke to Raheem Mostert, I tried to find the most subtle way to bring it up. Yeah. Any talk this week, Raheem, any chatter in the locker room about how this was maybe a little bit of a middle finger by Mike McDaniel to Sean Payton and maybe people above Mike in the organization who tried to hire Sean Payton and ultimately squandered a first-round pick in the effort to hire Sean Payton last year before right. they hired Mike McDaniel. Right. And Raheem said, well, that's the first time hearing of that. Like, damn. I said, Raheem, you're really getting in the way of a good story. <laughs> and he's like, and I could hear it in his voice. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, so that was not, it may have been somewhere in the back of Mike McDaniel's yeah, mind. The coaching staff, maybe. But it's right. nothing that made its way into the locker room. And I guess for most players, it'd be like, I don't care. Most, yeah. are, most of them are oblivious to it. But, you know, I could see that at some level that's a way to go to Tua and say, hey, man, this is the game that, like, you know, they didn't want me and they didn't want you. Yeah. Like, they, they wanted Peyton and they wanted Brady. Yeah. So this is our chance to kind of show everybody that, that uh, sometimes your first choice yeah, in your best, best choice. No, and I think you could throw on Fangio there. You could really stew, you know, make some stew and, and, and get some things going because he's going, oh, the damn Broncos, they screwed me over and I didn't get a fair but shot. But Peyton wanted to hire him back so, as yeah. a defensive coordinator. Yeah, right. But so, there, you know, that's one where I could see the coaches, you know, up there on Monday and Tuesday getting ready and people saying things and kind of, you know, going, we're going to get, you know, you know, McDaniels. Uh, it's, it's payback time for yeah. things like that. Certainly, we know how a coaches are and, and players are for the most part. They find anything to rally around there. But, uh, wow. I, and, and even if Mostert wasn't aware of it, surely McDaniel was aware of it. How could you not be aware of it? Of course it? The is. door opened only right. because they failed to yep. capitalize on this plan A of getting Sean Payton and Tom Brady. All right, I mentioned the Cowboys. Squandering their top spot in the power rankings. Some would say I deliberately jinxed them by making them number one. And yes, I have that kind of power over the game to put a team at number one, only to know that they're about to step on a rake in Arizona. 28 to 16, the Cardinals beat the Cowboys. I kept thinking it's just a matter of time before Same the Cowboys find yeah, the gas bro. Right, and right. I, even as it was in, in obvious doubt and peril, and it's over, I still thought there's going to be a way that the Cowboys are going to put off because we saw the Cardinals blow it last week. But to their credit, they built the lead. They held the lead. They won the game. And if they were trying to tank, then they can't tank straight because they got a huge win after being in both of their first two games. So things are working. I 
I, I'm not ready to say that I was wrong about the Cardinals because yeah. I really think they don't prioritize winning this year. If they manage to win games in a year when they weren't prioritizing winning, the question becomes, why the hell didn't you prioritize winning? You could have won a lot more games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, I know. They're, they're, uh, the one thing I will say is pretty well coached every game. The defensive game plan has been pretty good. They play hard as hell, right? And, yeah, so that's where I look at it and go, they're doing the right things as far as X's and O's and giving their team a chance. Now, they're not super talented across the board, but within that game planning and recognizing and and knowing what they are, they're playing the right way. And I think the thing I was shocked by is just how they came out in the football game and ran it on the Cowboys. You know, I just thought, hey, I mean, the Cowboys, we know how good the defense has been. And they're so athletic up front, and they cause so much, you know, chaos and, and, you know, get into the backfield and cause all these issues. And, I mean, early in the game, it was Josh Dobbs running the ball. It was James Conner. You're watching Rondell Moore up the middle here for a big game. And this goes into Dallas a little bit with their movement because they are a little undersized. They try to move guys a lot. And it's like Arizona had a good feel for where they were going to move, and they gashed them. I mean, this is a 45-yard touchdown run. Rondell Moore in the backfield like a Debo Samuel, and nobody touches him. I mean, not a finger on the guy for a 45-yard touchdown. That's kind of crazy in the NFL against a team like the Cowboys. But totally controlled the first half of the football game. And like you, I was like, oh, they're they're going to come back here. They'll be fine. They'll wake up. And really dominated the second half. I mean, it, it's it's, and I just want to make sure I get this right because it was, I believe, let's see, we had 21-10. Dallas went down the field the first drive of the third quarter. I think that's when they kicked the field goal, that drive. The next drive, they got it. They went right down the field again, and that's where they went. They didn't get it on fourth yep. and three, right? Yep. No points there. Uh, they, of course, go down again, have to settle for field goal, which that's another theme of the day is settling for field goal. So now it's 21-16, and then, of course, you had the Dak Prescott bad interception at the end of the football game that completely closed the door. So getting in the end zone, you know, red zone efficiency was certainly a big thing for the Cowboys. Their O-line being banged up hurt them for sure. But, yeah, Arizona, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely impressed and got to give Jonathan Gannon a lot of credit for, you know, the way his team continues to fight. Dak Prescott spread the ball around to eight different receivers. Tony Pollard had 122 rushing yards. So they were moving the ball. They just were petering out in the red zone. And that's what kept them from getting back into it. They didn't have starting center Tyler Biotish. They didn't have Zach Martin. Nope. They dealt with the injury of, to no Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, no Tyron and, Smith and, and, and gone for and Yeah, and yeah. so, look, and you said this before about the Cowboys after they, they beat the Giants, I think, the idea that, when you're playing a team like the Cowboys, if they jump on top of you early, yeah. they they're bullies. They, that they, it just continues it and it's them. over. It they're fuels like, oh, them. We're the Cowboys. Here we and go. it's forty we're to nothing. We're gonna smush right. you, right? And if you can flip that around on them and right. put them in a game like the 49ers have the last yeah, few years, yeah, they get they get a little wobbly. Whoa, wait, we're in a fight. You're yeah, gonna punch us back. So yeah. and 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 you get these lapses of execution or coaching or whatever, where these little things end up making the difference. They could have and should have come back and won that game. They are the better team than the Cardinals, but the Cardinals beat them yesterday. And and it's the kind of thing that other coaches of good teams can use. Kyle Shanahan can use it with the 49ers. Mike McDaniel can use it with the Dolphins when they play the Panthers in a couple weeks. Right. 
any given Sunday it's the or NFL. Monday right. or Thursday or any of it every day, right. whenever they play games, one team can beat another. They're still members of the National Football League. There is no relegation. And every team in the NFL can beat in any collection of 60 minutes of football Definitely. another team. That's right. Yeah, you're going to have 70 to 20. But if you would play Broncos, Dolphins 100 times, it's not going to be 70 to no, 20 every time. And some number of times out of those 100 games, the Broncos will win. It's just the way it goes. Yes. It's a bounce of the ball here. It's you get lucky there. You get a break your way there early. Those little moments early set the tone, and those weird bounces late end up deciding the game, except when it is right. one team blowing the other off the field, which the Cowboys are adept at doing. And to the Cardinals' credit, I think they understood. We have to, we have to weather the storm early. We have to be the storm early. And that's the thing that gives us a chance to win this game. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly right. You know, and you're right. They were the storm early. They jumped out on the Cowboys. And I, you know, the, we talk about, yeah, the Cowboys, I don't want to say they're front runners, but they're definitely a momentum team that way. You know, the other thing I think of, and, and, and you know, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, right? It's, it's the Cowboys, for whatever reason, seem to be that team over the last 15, 20 years that whenever they're good – and people start to pump them up a little too much, you know, and they're walking around Dallas and everybody's telling them they're God, you're God, you're the best. Oh my gosh, the Cowboys, the Cowboys, here's a free drink, here's a free meal. Oh my gosh, you know, here's my daughter, whatever. They're all over. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I, that took a turn. <laughs> I know. I was being silly. But either way, like, that's what they're looked at. And they fall in that trap a little bit. I always feel like that with the Dallas Cowboys a little bit. I also think their owner is the personification yeah. of that euphoria right. that he allows himself to enjoy. He lives in the moment. Yep, sure. And when things are going well, he's not going to defer his celebration until they get their fingerprints on a Lombardi trophy. He's going to enjoy life one win at a time. Sure. And I feel like there was that over the top, my God, this team is great. And that just sets you up for the fall. And I'm I'm sure, you know, those mornings when he calls 105.3 the fan and he sounds all gravelly voiced yeah. like he just rolled out of bed or right. he's still in bed under the covers with the phone and he's going to be muted and humbled and chagrined this week. But there'll be an edge there because he knows they're just one week away from getting yeah. back to where they were. Here's Dak Prescott from after the loss to the Cardinals on whether this is a wake-up call for the Cowboys. Y'all put us on top of the world. Um we know we know who we are, um, and, and in that same sense, I'm sure the media got got what they wanted. Uh, for us, um, that hadn't been but one one undefeated um, ever, ever. So, uh, yeah, it, it sucks. It's humbling. Um, but to say it's a wake up call, we we knew we had a lot of adversity, um, and we just just didn't get it done. And I think it just goes back to to myself, the offense, and, and the red zone. So I mean, we get better at there, we win this game, but. Uh, we've, we've got to fix that area, period. Dak Prescott. Well, his comments are just proof well, that... just acknowledges what I just said, basically, without with, with yeah. trying not to acknowledge. We listened to the media. They made us kings, and we felt like kings. Yeah. Kind of it's it's right our there. fault, but that's yeah. it's just so weird. There is an yeah. endless human capacity right. to rationalize and justify and twist around any set of circumstances to blame somebody else. 
You made us. See what happened, media? You made us the best team. We're not. You made us the best team. And see, aren't you happy now? You found out you were wrong. We're not as good as you think we are. Seriously, We're actually pretty bad. We suck more than the Cardinals do. Take that, media. (laughs) I just can't believe that. that Coming out of Dak Prescott's mouth. But it does prove your point. They allow themselves to listen to it, and they they get caught up in it. So, so this is the message to Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, Mike McCarthy, Will McClay, anyone else in any position to influence the Cowboys organization. You better have someone in your power structure that is capable of pumping the brakes before the brakes are pumped on you by the Cardinals or the next time that happens. That and and I, I. I just wonder whether they even have the capacity to take what Dak said and string it to a solution. It's just kind of like, yeah, that's the way it is. You pumped us up and we lost, and it'll happen again, and it'll happen again, and it'll happen again. At some point, isn't it incumbent on someone to say, enough? Yeah. We can't allow ourselves to keep doing this. Right. That's where... You know, who's that, responsible for that in the organization? That, that, I mean, that's a head coach thing. That, that's where it has to become. And, and this is something I've had, you know, conversations with coaches around the NFL a little bit. You know, that's where internal motivation is real. It's about us. We got to get better today. And who cares who we're playing? We're not good at this on a Wednesday and we're going to be better at it this Wednesday. You know, Thursday, we're going to be the best third down team in practice in NFL history. And you worry about you. Yeah, we know external motivation is going to be a thing. Somebody says bulletin board material or it's a big game. We're playing the Eagles. Yeah, you'll be able to get up for those. But what is going to get you up when it's the Arizona Cardinals and they're 0-2 and we think they're tanking for, you know, Caleb Williams or whatever, right? And that's where leaders on the team, the head coach – and I always think of like, you know, Bill Parcells, of course, because that's the, the, the way of life I grew up. And you hear the same stories about Belichick. When you win games and you are 2-0, that's when those kind of coaches tell you, you're not that good. You got problems. They kind of put you back in your place, put some fear back into you so you practice and get detailed again and get on your A game. And that's where I worry about Dallas sometimes. And you hear other people in the media make fun of them as well because, yeah, it just becomes a circus. And then the greatest show in Texas, and it all goes from there. But, um, yeah, that was a – and then, you know, let's not forget this, Mike, too. They also had the Friday we lost one of our best players on our football team to an ACL distraction, too. That's not easy to overcome. Uh, But, yeah, lack of big plays on the offensive side of the ball, that was what was kind of surprising. Gannon showed that – like from his days in Philly, that he's got a good feel for how the Cowboys play, and he applied that to this game plan, and they gave the Cowboys, of course, a a lot of issues yesterday. Well, the overriding message to Jerry Jones and the Cowboys is that during the search for glory hole, don't get too caught up in the day-to-day glory. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. And you know, and and yeah, you're right. You make, you make me laugh. Stop. But yeah, it was just and and hey, twenty-one sixteen. They finally get it to where they want. And you're going, oh, the defense kind of been looking good here. They're going to get the stop. And Dallas is going to go down and score. And they let up a huge play to Michael Wilson, the rookie receiver from Stanford, who's going to be a hell of a player. 
and he flips the, the field on them. And then Dobbs makes a great throw for a touchdown to Hollywood Brown. And that was all she wrote right there. And just is uh, pretty amazing between the Dolphins and that show. And then we thought that Cowboys were in the caliber of team. The Dolphins were for them to kind of fall asleep at the wheel. It was definitely a surprise of Sunday. Patriots at home next Sunday in the big spot late afternoon. Yeah. At the 49ers on Sunday night football, week five. Then at the Chargers, week six, Monday night football. We'll get a close look at the Cowboys the next few weeks and see how they turn this around if that wake-up call comes through. And if they start doing well again, do they listen to idiots like us who happen to notice, hey, they're doing pretty well again? They got to look at it and go – they got to look at teams and go, like, you know, Eagles. They got to make it about the Eagles and the 49ers. So we got to keep pace with them. And it's about, you know, staying towards the the upper echelons of all of football. And here, the last thing I'll say, too, with Dallas that that I'd like to see more, like – Another receiver's got to show up here. It can't just be the C.D. Lamb show all the time. You know, that would be the other thing, too. Brandon Cooks was out there a little bit, but, you know, you barely noticed him. Michael Gallup had 6 for 92. That, that was, so I saw some moments from him yesterday. That was good. They, but they're, they're, like, they need some more firepower there. Yeah. You know, that would be the thing, too. Who's going to be that consistent second guy? Um, and, yeah, Gallup's stats are a little bit better than I thought. Sorry. I, th- I actually thought that was CeeDee Lamb and the other one was Gallup. So, it's, but still, they only got one guy off is right. what I'm saying. When I, when I looked right. at the numbers, the ball was spread around and there wasn't – yeah, you, you expect a guy over 100 yards. The way they were moving the ball between the 20s yesterday, yes, you exactly. expect one of right. the receivers to be over 100. All right, let's take a break. The Pittsburgh Steelers went to Las Vegas for the first time ever and they emerged with a victory. I was right <laughs> He was wrong. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At the theater, more than the movies come to life, movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Really loud here. Steeler fans made the trip. Want to leave Vegas knowing they're going to cash in. Garoppolo do deep down the field and put it up for grabs for Adams gets some yards and is intercepted Wallace gets the two feet down he's got another pick 
And the Steelers are going to come away with the victory. Mike Tirico on the call. Pittsburgh West last night. You made that point. Are the Raiders ever going to have a home field advantage, or is it always going to be fans of the opposing team taking in Vegas for the a weekend. weekend in Las Vegas, right. and we'll go take over that stadium? Yeah. How many natural fans of the Raiders are there in Las Vegas? I think they count on people coming from Oakland and Los Angeles to balance it out, but that ain't happening. A couple right now. weeks after we saw the 49ers fans take over Acrisure Stadium, we see the Steelers take over Allegiant Stadium, and. And fans of the visiting team aren't bashful about spending the money and making the trips, and Las Vegas is a destination, and we, we saw it last night. I mean, I, I don't know. In, in a lot of the game and some of the big moments, I, I honestly thought it sounded like there was more Steeler fans there. I felt like it seems like Jimmy Garoppolo is dealing with crowd noise more than Kenny Pickett was. So yeah, that that's going to be something that, you know, I, I kind of gave them a boost going, this is their home opener. They're going to be ready to go here in this one. And it's like, yeah, it was a home opener because you were home, but that was about it. There was no home field advantage to be had. And then slowly but surely, I mean, your pasta and meatballs was right because that first drive by the Raiders was good. Getting getting nervous. Yeah, well, it got, you know, usually most NFL games make you nervous at the end because it it gets close. But the Raiders, I mean, the Steelers looked good last night. Uh, That's for sure. I mean, they they were clearly the more physical, uh, ready to play football team. They ran the ball enough it wasn't beautiful but at least it was effective Kenny Pickett played pretty damn good and got out of the pocket and did some plays like that that you know limited some bad plays and then they found some ways to stretch the field a little bit like we've talked about and open up some of these short passes in the run game and I think that's the encouraging thing for Pickett and the Steelers offense but this move these moves right here is special I mean and he's gonna have to get back to that as they kind of continue to find their way on the offensive side of the ball. Well, I think one thing that last night's game proved is that the Browns have a pretty damn good defense. That's right. They swallowed up Kenny Pickett on Monday night before he could do any of that stuff, but he did make some big plays with his legs. He was very efficient in the passing game. They got the ball to George Pickens as they needed to. He had four catches for 75 yards. There was the long throw to Calvin Austin that equalized things at seven that was uh, right after the Raiders had scored first on a 32-yard right. touchdown pass from Jimmy Garoppolo to Devontae Adams. Here's the play here, They too. banged around Garoppolo last night, too. Great throw, under pressure, and Calvin Austin uh, is just in fast, splitting the defenders. And and that that was – that's what you have to – if you're Pittsburgh, you can't let 7 nothing become 14 nothing. If 7 nothing becomes 14 nothing, the Steelers are not built to come back from that. You've got to answer – the touchdown that the other team scores first and then you got to try to build a lead as they did it went from 7-0 to 7-7 and the next thing was 23-7 Pittsburgh's up I mean it was methodical but by the time we got into the the late third quarter the Pat Fryermuth touchdown catch from Kenny Pickett made it 23-7 and that's when the Steelers went into let's hold on and and try to try to pull this off mode and uh, almost almost didn't pull it off yeah well it got close at the end like you're saying but Hey, get the ball to 14, like we talked about in the pregame show last night. Get the ball to Pickens more. All right? I still think they can find more ways. Get the ball to 19, like you saw. He's one of the few guys on their offense that can, yeah, run by people on a deep post and do something with the ball in his hand and make something happen there in Calvin Austin. I like that. Continue to run the ball. 
you know, and they're going to continue to pound the rock there, even though it's not pretty. It was effective enough, and it just keeps people off Kenny Pickett and just rushing them and getting the pass rush under control a little bit there. Uh, but Jalen Warren, they, they, even though Najee Harris got the ball more, it was 29 snaps for Najee Harris, 28 for Jalen Warren. No, 31. I'm sorry, 31 for Najee Harris, 28 for Jalen Warren. So they're using Warren more. Yeah. He's on the field more. Yeah. And and look, I think we all think that needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel bad saying this, but you said it yourself last week. It goes back to his time in Alabama. You you've got to just run north south if you're Najee yeah. Harris. You can't right. dance like Le'Veon Bell to try to find an opening, and right. you and they can't run him to the outside. He doesn't have the burst to get around the edge. No, he and doesn't. every time he has like an eight yard run, I'm thinking. Boy, there's other guys out there that would have. Yeah, but he got 20. Have 20. Yeah. And they showed a stat last night about, right. and it was one of those advanced analytics, like lost yards since 2021, like 180 yards that maybe he should have. I don't know how they figured that out, but I know what my eyes tell me. Yeah. And it's like, man, he just gained eight, but I think other guys in that situation would have had 20. Yeah, I, I, I think it's fair to say that. And, and then, you know, there, there's things that he can bring that are an advantage to his game, but sometimes he doesn't take advantage of it, in my opinion. It's just the fact of, you know, like you said, he has a little bit of that Le'Veon Bell, and I'm going to come up to the line of scrimmage and hop and try to find a hole to go to off that. First off, Le'Veon Bell was really special in his prime, so that's not easy to replicate, right? I mean, he had some of the greatest feet and, like, the greatest – like first two, three steps to reaccelerate that I can remember. I mean, he's one of those, when you saw him in person on a field, you went, whoa, I just didn't realize he was kind of that explosive and that quick and can lower his shoulder and still run people over. But like to, you know, I think you heard me say one time in the viewing room last night, like sometimes, yeah, it's not a great offensive line. We get that. It's still a work in progress. There's not much there. You just got to put your, your, your shoulder pads down and just drive into the pile and make it second and seven. And then sometimes it looks like, like you're saying he's looking to bounce outside or get an eight or a ten-yard gain, and you're just going, that's not there, and that's not your game. Just get three or four and you know, put your offense in a good situation here and now the defense doesn't know what to expect, run or pass. But uh, either way, they were clearly the better team on the field last night. That's for sure. They were the more physical football team. You felt like they had control of the game really, you know, like you said, ever at, at, right after that Calvin Austin touchdown, it just felt like it was a Steelers night. And then, of course, we saw the Raiders make a charge late in the game. So, yeah. At the end. Yeah. What do you think? Josh McDaniels yeah. tried the field goal. There was a leverage call against the Steelers. Fresh set of downs. Then they hit fourth down inside the 10. They were, they were uh, in position to obviously go for it. It was fourth and four. Um, they kicked the field goal with just over two minutes to play. The analytics say in that situation, go for the touchdown. Because if you don't get it, the other team is pinned. You've got three timeouts. You've got the two-minute warning. You get another crack getting down the field. The same justification you're going to use for let's kick a field goal and then kick it off and have them down on their end and get the ball back, right? right. I mean, you yeah. still got to get the ball back. Yeah, you still got to get the ball back. Right. So you go for it. You don't get it. You still got to get the right. touchdown. Mm-hmm. The only thing, and I heard your voice in my brain, because you still needed eight. So you got to score two touchdowns. Yeah, right. You got to score the touchdown. Then you got to score another touchdown from the two-yard line. So okay, we kick the field goal. We get the ball back to an offense that is sputtered. And if we get it, all we need is the touchdown. We don't need the two-point conversion. They had already scored once and gotten a two-point conversion. And that's part of – see, the statistics are one thing. There's so many other factors that I'm willing to defer to in the mind of the head coach. Like, okay, I got I to gotta score a touchdown and go for two again, but I just used my best one 
to get the last two yeah, points. Yeah, sure, right. Like, what else do I have? Do yeah. I feel good about it? That's one of the things Sean Payton says about analytics. Yeah. Well, all right, you want me to go for it here on fourth and short. How many plays do I have that I feel good about against this How many this times have we already done it before right. and I've used some of my best yeah. ones? What, right. what, do I, what am I going to do there yeah. to score that extra two points? So there's a lot that goes into it. Here's McDaniels explaining the decision after the game to kick the field goal and not go for the touchdown, even though the analytics said go for the touchdown. You know, you have two choices there. You know, you try to make it a five-point game where you have an opportunity to win it with the touchdown if you get the ball back, you know, or – you try to, you know, uh, go for it there, and then if you ho- if you if you happen to convert, then you got to make the two point conversion, all the rest of it. So, um, you know, just as are the decisions you got to make. You know, I thought we did a decent job of putting ourselves in third down there, the next series with the defense to try to have a play to get off the field, and we just wouldn't handle that play very well. Well, no, and that was the problem, and it was a great breakdown by Chris Collinsworth and Mike Tarico. They blitzed from the the slot on that third down and Kenny Pickett rolled just enough and Allen Robinson wide open. And that was the dagger for the the Raiders. They got the ball back, but there wasn't enough time to do anything. And we saw the interception from Jimmy Garoppolo to end the game. He was picked off three times. He got twisted up like a pretzel. I was impressed that he was able to keep going. He was evaluated for a concussion after the game. This just isn't sustainable. This is the, this look, it's not that he's injury prone. He just plays the game in a way that gets him exposed to too much contact, and if you get hit enough times, you're eventually going to get hurt. Right. And he's he's a warrior, and he'll keep going, he and will. he's courageous. That's right. But you got to find a way to keep yourself clean. Yeah, you got to get rid of the ball before three guys twist you up in knots. Yeah. That that's the challenge. You you got to avoid the blows to the head. You got to avoid the hits that eventually and inevitably will keep you from playing for one week, two weeks, a month, two months, rest of the season, whatever. Yeah, it, it, I think the, the, the word you're using there, sustainable, is the real thing. Right. One, one not sustainable that they think that like Jimmy Garoppolo dropping back 45, 50 times a game and having to throw every play is going to win them football games. It's not going to happen. That's not, he's not that, like, this is not Mahomes or Josh Allen or somebody like that. So he's not capable of going, okay, guys, I'll just carry you week in and week out. They got to get the run game going, and that's still a big issue. It's still, I'm shocked by it with how good they were last year and their big offensive line. It's just lethargic, and they get blown off the ball consistently in the run game right now. Um, and you know, on top of what you're saying, Mike, too, Garoppolo, and uh, I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm not because again, I have respect for what Jimmy Garoppolo has done. I get that. Now, I get sick when people say all he does is win games. And I'm going to go, yeah, well, all he was was on an all-star team with the 49ers, right? We're going to see if he can win games now with the Raiders, all right? But I look at the league and go, I don't know, is Jimmy Garoppolo the least mobile quarterback in football? I think he might be. He's the least mobile who tries to be mobile. Like, he's not aware that he's not mobile. He tries to be I, mobile. I hear you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He kind of maybe goes outside of his realm of reality a yeah. little bit and puts himself in some of these positions. Like when Kirk Cousins senses the walls closing in, he turtles. Right. And he still gets banged around a lot. We saw him on the Netflix Oh, my series. gosh. He How, got yeah. killed yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he doesn't make it worse right. by putting his body in a position where when he does inevitably get hit. Yeah, he's still trying to throw. And some yeah. Great, you know, so it's all getting twisted around yeah, and, exactly. and, and sprained and right. warped and broken. Right. He at least goes into duck and cover mode. Yeah, I, I, I agreed there. Agreed. You got to know what you are, who you are. It's too Devontae Adams centric right now. Still, at least Jacoby Myers got going. It seemed like in the second half, uh, it seemed like the majority of his catches. You know, the other thing too, Mike. You know, back to the decision, right? And and you, you laid it out, right? There's a lot of things to think of. It's not an easy decision, but that's one there where 
I would have gone, we got, you got to go for it. And you know me, I'm usually a field goal guy. Like, I'll, we'll talk about the Ravens later with John Harbaugh because you brought him up, and I go, I, I don't know why you went for it in the middle of the field right there. You're better. Make Gardner Minshew go down and drive and kick a field goal to win the game. Don't just give them the ball right there so they can make one play and now kick a field goal and you lose. You know, and we've seen the tie comes in handy, right? But with this case with the Raiders, like you always, analytics, great, blah, 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 blah. The, the feel for the game, getting down to the red area wasn't that easy, you know, all game. The offense wasn't smooth at, by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, do you really feel confident that you're going to march down there again and make that happen one more time? You're there. So that's the thing I would say, too. And then added on top of that, your defense is certainly, you know, not the Raiders of the 70s. And you, you've had a hard time slowing down the Steelers all night long. And that's where I would have said, yeah, you got to go for it in that situation, see if you could, you know, score the touchdown, tie the game, and then go from there. Uh, but, again, I don't think it's the most egregious, horrible decision. But, yeah, that's one I would have gone for. And this is a take that is not rooted in analytics at all. The reality is this. You took three points off the board and kept – the ball. You could have declined the penalty, taken the three points, and said, we just want more time. Yeah, right. So right. you take the penalty. You're trying to get a touchdown. Yes. We want the touchdown. Yes. And then you take more time off the clock to make it even harder to get the ball back after you take the field goal then. It's like the football gods gave you a gift and you threw it back. They gave you a chance to go get a touchdown. And ah, we'll just go ahead and take the three points that we took off the board. There's just something about that. Yeah. That – it has nothing to do with analytics. It just feels like you're defying. You're not being grateful. You're biting the hand that tried to feed you a chance to go get the touchdown. And if it fails, you've got three timeouts. You've got the two-minute warning. You've got a Steelers offense that isn't great. You've got them pinned up against their goal line, so right. they're going to try to be careful because a safety all of a sudden opens the door to six points tying the game and seven beating you. So I, I just – look – I always defer to the person who has earned the right to make those decisions, and they understand that if you make enough of those decisions the wrong way, you end up not having a job. But that just feels like one where they should have gone for it. Yeah. They should have gone for it. I agree. Um, along the way. Yeah. On the comeback trail. What? Second and 10 from the 18. Yeah. Nothing the passer. Oh. And here's my plea. And this is not I, – I, this isn't singling out anyone. Any of the rules analysts. Terry McCauley does a great job. They all do a great job. None of them will ever mention. And I don't understand this. I, I need to reach out to Terry. I mean, they try to explain the roughing the passer call as a substantive matter of was this roughing the passer. Remember what the rule says. When in doubt, whip, whip it, it out. out. Right. That's all they need to say. Hey, Terry, what did you see here? Well, this is the first thing we need to remember, Mike. The rule book expressly says when in doubt, whip it out. That's what happened here. There's doubt. If there's doubt, the flag comes out. That's it. So did he really violate the rules? Was it really a forcible blow to the head? It doesn't matter. When in doubt, whip it out. That's what happens. And I think one of the reasons why there's never enough pressure put on the league to get rid of that aspect of the rule book is nobody ever says it. We're the only ones who say it. Yeah. When in doubt, whip it out is in the rule book, and it shouldn't be. Now, you look at it super slow motion, that's that to me, they've called that in the past. Yeah. But in the effort to explain it, I think the frontline position, whichever network, whichever rules analyst, it needs to be, this is the one rule 
where the officials are told, when in doubt, throw the flag. And that sets the context for then trying to understand it because the fans are looking at it as whether or not it was roughing the pass or not. Oh, wait, I understand. They're specifically told if there's any doubt, there's a third to throw the flag. And they're out there in real time trying to make these decisions. Okay, I get it. Yeah. I, listen, it, it's tough on these refs. I, I, there's uh, obviously an incredible emphasis on protecting the quarterback. I, I don't like that at all. I mean, again, you know, I don't think his head's going to touch him, but Jimmy ducks down and gets it down there where his head, you know, does touch him. It wasn't a big forcible blow. No, you know, I just those are those are ones where this is where the NFL refs got it wrong right now. But you do have to go in. I mean, from Micah Fitzpatrick's standpoint, yeah, a little scoops to the, the side, right? It's just a, the, that that to me is not egregious enough to to call in that moment. And then what drives me crazy is they're going to over officiate that, and then yet let pass interference happen at the end of football games like the Ravens Colts or the Washington Broncos game and they're not going to call those so that's where to me that bothers me a little bit and I just wish they would listen I'm all for protecting the quarterback and if he launched at his head or did something crazy throw the flag then it's his fault and he should know better but that one there is a little bit like you know come on rubbing his race in a little bit he's running in like a crazy guy he looks like he's going to just hit him with his chest and kind of swallow him up and, yeah, you're right, he doesn't tilt it to the side, and therefore that leads to his face mask touching the ear hole a little bit. And, uh, you know, that it drives me crazy. What we know, though, yeah, it's no surprise, no, it's not surprise that they protect the quarterbacks. Yep. But, but my, my, my plea is, can we inject into the coverage of these games? Starting tonight with John Perry on ABC. Again, this is a call-out to everybody that's in a position. to Because what is said during these broadcasts has tremendous influence. And we just need to get the rules analyst to start pointing out when there's a, a close, questionable call, instead of saying, well, I wouldn't have called that or oh, that looks close to me or I'm not sure that that's forcible. Remember, these folks are told in the rule book. It's in the rule book. This isn't some side directive from the league office. It's in the rule book. When in doubt, throw the flag. It's the only rule that has that element to it. And it's all part of this broader effort to protect quarterbacks because if the quarterbacks are protected, we've got. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers next Sunday night, not Patrick Mahomes and Zach Wilson. Obviously, we'll talk about the predicament the Jets face later in the program. All right, uh, let's pivot to one of the most surprising outcomes of the day for me, and I got to give the Browns credit. Rough night in Pittsburgh. Deshaun Watson did not look like Deshaun Watson of old. They lost Nick Chubb, which is a major blow to that team from a production and leadership standpoint. I talked to Mari Cooper about that after the game yesterday, how they managed to get past Nick Chubb being gone. And they just beat the hell out of the Titans. Oh, beat the hell out Destroyed of them. Destroyed them. Yeah. 27 to 3. I mean, the, the, the Titans offense, they couldn't figure out anything. I mean, uh, Ryan Tannehill was under pressure the whole football game. Like you said, that front for the Browns, it's, it's official. It's real. Right? I, I kind of was like you. I was calling the angle that, you know, one loss is going to become two because of last week and what a debacle. Too much it was. to overcome. Just a lot to overcome. And Tennessee's going to come in focused and make the game ugly and low scoring and whatever else. But you know, as we see with Tennessee, once again, there's just not enough on offense there. And, and then, you know, as far as their defense is concerned, yeah, I mean, that was the best day Deshaun Watson's had as a Cleveland Brown quarterback. He looked really good. 
made some plays with his legs, looked comfortable in the pocket. And you know me, Mike, I'm not about like all these stats and yards. To me, it was the quality of the footballs too. It's, you know, perfect spirals on point, you know, in rhythm, just looked like Deshaun Watson, where last week the ball was all over the place. He would reluctant to pull the trigger a few times. You know, had some things mechanically as a quarterback that I looked at and went, man, why is he throwing it like that? So he looked really, really good. And they ran the ball effective enough, you know, to keep you honest in in that department. But Cooper got going, Elijah Moore, Donovan Peoples-Jones. So that was good to see for Cleveland. But the story is their defense. And the fact that those, you know, the guys they got in the secondary, Denzel Ward's real, that pass rush is real. Their linebacker with linebackers of the Wusu Koromoa and, and Walker are damn good and, and Jim Schwartz has really got something going there on that Cleveland defense. Oh, absolutely, and that defense is the key, and that's what made it a lot easier for them yesterday. Three and a half sacks from Miles Garrett and uh really a, an impressive total team performance. The running game not impressive. Seven different guys had carries. They yeah. ma- they managed to piece together a not you know, embarrassing day, but, That's what it was. but Jerome right. Ford, the new lead back, had 10 carries for 18 yards. That is not going to keep him the lead back for long. Pierre Strong had 27 yards on six carries. Kareem Hunt got involved five for 13. Deshaun Watson added 16, but seven different guys show up in the stat sheet as running the ball. We showed a flash of it. It's one of the Deshaun Watson completions to Amari Cooper. Yeah, down the left sideline there. Yeah. I. Let's watch it again. How many times – I wonder if we have the whole play because it yeah. cut off as part of the highlight pack. How many times do we have to see an official who is in position where his or her eyes are looking directly at oh, the thing? Oh, isn't that unbelievable? And they – Called them out. We, we saw it recently with – I think it was a Michael Thomas catch where his butt landed inbounds and the official the was right there. The, the, right there. The official is right there. Calls them out. It if we can go back down. to that and freeze frame it. Right there at the – Tennessee 40, the ball is caught. Amari Cooper never steps out of bounds. And like, the not official even is right there. There he is. What does he see there? And he killed it. And it wasn't inadvertent. And I, at first, I thought they were going to explain after the fact it was an inadvertent whistle. No. And when you look at the official NFL summary of the game, all it says is, Catch pushed out of bounds at the 40. He's never pushed out of bounds. His foot does not go out of bounds. The official is right there looking at it. I know it's kind of close, but you're right there. You're not on the other side of the field. You're not 20 yards away. He never look. It's not. He never. I mean, it's not even. It's not close. It's not close. No. It's not close. Yeah. It, from that other angle, it looked. No, from it's. I. It's inexcusable. Here's really. the only solution for this. The officials have to be full time, and. I know that people will say, well, they're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to have those moments. But you know what? When those moments happen, people like us can't say, well, if they were full-time, they wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's right. It's your full focus. It's your full job. You have meetings. You have sessions. You have seminars. You have drills. You don't make those mistakes. You don't have the brain fart or whatever the explanation is. And I wish we had more transparency where someone like that would be available to answer their questions. Everybody else has to talk to the media about, why you made this mistake? Why'd you make that decision? Why'd you do that? Hey, Mr. Official, in what part of your body was your head inserted when you thought Amari Cooper was out of bounds? Why don't they have to answer those questions? I, I, I hear you, man. I do. I, I don't get that. It's, it's inexcusable. And, and, you know, plays like that can, can cost teams football games. If you games. can't take it, do something else. Big yeah. boy sport. Yeah. If you can't take the heat, do something else. Yeah. If you can't get it right, do something else. Yeah. So, and, and I keep coming back to this, and I keep using the quote from Roger Goodell. 
when the NFL hated gambling before they realized how much money they could make from it. Normal incidents of the game are going to create speculation of match fixing and point shaving. Normal incidents are going to create suspicion. Well, here's a normal incident, a mistake by an official. Blatant, blatant. What are you going to think? What are you going to think? And I still don't believe it happens, but the commissioner said so himself. Normal incidents of the game are going to spark speculation. So you see something like that, you're going to have people say, ah, Tim Donahue. Hey, Tim Donahue. Hey, there's Tim Donahue. I hear you. Why wouldn't you think that? Yeah. When you see something that blatant, and you know what they're going to do? Nothing to see here. Nobody's going to say anything about it. There wasn't a pool report after the game. There's no mechanism to naturally question anyone about this. And I I, I get to the point where I'm going to waste my time. I won't even ask the league because I'll get some word salad response and they, they can never just say, hey, you know what? Screwed it up. Yeah. They'll be, you know, he'll be downgraded for it. There'll be accountability. And if he continues to do it, he'll be out of a job. And right. that's the way it needs to be. Yeah. There needs to be a sense of accountability. Yeah, Everybody else has it. Yeah, that's right. The whole league does. So, so yeah, it, it, that, that was, you know, definitely head-scratching moment. It really was. Uh, and it keeps popping up. And the thing is, it just kind of ran. You never know it's going to help well, you. It's going to hurt We you. saw the Titans that pop up when they strip-sacked Derek Carr in week one and picked it up and ran for a touchdown. They blew, Saints. They blew the whistle. Yeah. The Saints game, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just uh, there's been and a few And then plays. blew the replay review to cover up the cover fact up, that they took right. away the touchdown. Yeah, That's exactly our opinion. Right. That's not necessarily fact. But, no, but they, the replay, yeah, it's like, well, you know what? If we leave the call as it was, we don't have to then deal with the fact that it really should have been a touchdown for the other team. Uh, but It's going to continue to happen. Welcome to football season. It's going to happen every week, multiple games, and they need to work harder. And if you have full-time officials, you at least remove the argument that these are part-time people who have their loyalties divided, they have their time divided, they're doing too many things. You got to let them focus and rest and be ready and not stressed and not thinking, I got to travel here and I got to travel there. And what about my other job? And what about my family? There's just... It should be their only job. Everybody else in the league, it's their only job. This should be their only job. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. I don't. But back to the point, Browns look damn Browns, good. Browns look pretty good. Browns got talent. You know, yeah, they, they blew that game that you were at last Monday night, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Because I had my terrible talent. So yeah, that one extra there. terrible talent Possum made the difference. Meatballs was there in, in a big way. But if Deshaun Watson can play like that, uh, they're they're going to have something to say in the AFC because the defense and Miles Garrett are phenomenal. Schwartz has them flying around. And the one thing we wanted to see was, yes, okay, now Nick Chubb's hurt. They're not going to be able to just dominate people in the run game like they usually do. The Titans look like they sold out to stop the run yesterday. They kind of were like, we're going to call your bluff. We're going to see if Watson can do it. And Watson did it. And he was comfortable. And they took advantage of one-on-one matchups down the field. Even created a few big pass interference plays because they were playing some aggressive coverages, worried about stopping the run. So, you know, good for Watson, good for the Browns and Stefanski. Bounce them back like that, I do think shows something, you know, after that rough week and, and, and losing Monday night in Pittsburgh. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to hand out some superlatives from the third Sunday of the 2023 regular season. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 